Florida, where the iconic Cuban sandwich and legendary key lime pie meet seafood festivals, craft breweries, and sustainable farm-to-fork restaurants. With a wide variety of local specialties inspired by an endless list of global influences, the Sunshine State's innovative culinary scene is now featured in the Michelin Guide. Enjoy freshly caught snapper at a mom and pop seafood shack, sip wine at a local vineyard, or book a food tour and let your taste buds explore everything Florida has to offer. There's something for every palate. To whet your appetite and start planning your trip, go to visitflorida.com. Chris Johnson is head brewer and co-owner of Green Bench Brewing, based in St. Petersburg, Florida. He's been an active member of the Tampa Bay beer scene for many years, working for Cigar City Brewing and Southern Brewing and Winemaking before opening his own brewery. Welcome to the Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the industry. Season 4 is sponsored by Visit Florida. first time I actually brewed beer was in college and I, I picked it up just as a hobby because I was looking sure. for something to, to bide my time. Um, I, I went to school actually a pre-med student and finished my prereqs. I still had about a year left uh, university to go and um, decided I didn't want to go to med school anymore. Uh, <laughs> so I was kind of faced with a bit of a crisis. I didn't know what I wanted to do and uh, it was pretty terrifying. So I went back to school, became a literature major, actually uh, specialized oh, wow. or Focused in Victorian literature, actually, As and you do. Um, yeah, and um, decided I had a lot of time on my hands, and I wanted to do you know fill it with something. So sure. uh, when I was when I was in middle school, my father was a home brewer, so uh, I didn't know what he was doing or know anything about it. But it, at least I remembered my dad did this thing that he liked, and so if he could do it, I could do it, and maybe I'll it'll be a way to connect you know those dots a little bit between us and. Not that I mean, we have a great relationship, but it was just any other reason to kind of um, be inspired by what he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. I picked it up as a hobby. And actually, it was I was 21. So in the United States here, it's that's drinking age legally. Uh, I realized pretty quick I didn't know anything about beer. So I didn't even know if I liked <laughs> beer. So I spent about a year just drinking to study what what it is. Do I like it? How is it made? I would I would pick random uh, beer styles uh, every week, and I would go to. We have this big store here called Total Wine. They have a ton of different beers, and amongst wine and liquor and everything else. And I would go, and there'd be a wall of beer in front of me, and so I would pick a, a random style, and I would get a mixed six pack of that one style. And over the weekend, I would study. I would drink them all, and I would kind of have the guidelines in front of me, and I would read what it means, like Northern English brown ale. What, yeah, what does that sure. mean? So yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. Read the yeah appearance, aroma, flavor, you know, mouthfeel, overall impressions, ingredients. After a year of doing that, number one, I realized I love beer. Number two, <laughs> I found out that uh, which actually probably didn't take a whole year to figure that out, but um, <laughs> a couple of sips, I imagine. Uh, yeah, it didn't take too long. Uh, <laughs> but by the end of it, I had a I had a pretty good idea of what made beer and what made beers unique and different from each other, and that fascinated me. So then. 
I bought homebrewing equipment with my buddy Teddy, um, who I've known since I was like 10. So him and I went and bought, oh, bought homebrew equipment together. We brewed a beer in my apartment and um, kind of never looked back, man. Like uh, two, two, three beers in, we're brewing kits from the homebrew shop. And then I wrote and brewed my own recipe and I want a statewide medal for that. And then I want to see more medals. And yeah, and I just, I got really involved. I think the click for me was I realized pretty early on that beer is so uniquely complex that I would, if I wanted to do this, I would spend the rest of my life learning about it. And I'm never going to know everything. And to me, that was like, that was exciting because my fear was, waking it up and doing the same job every single day, hitting my ceiling pretty early in that career sure. and then having to do that forever. Um, and I was terrified of that. So beer offered me an opportunity to learn for the rest of my life, get up every day excited about something that I don't know uh, and try to discover something. Uh, and in the meantime, have a few pints. So <laughs> the perfect blend of kind of art and science and, and as you say, like education and learning, and creating something that, that brings people together for a good time. Like, what more could you want? Amazing. Yeah, I, I guess I, I, I definitely didn't realize that until later on. But uh, that was kind of the icing on the cake, if you will, for me. Like, sure. the, the impact that you have on people and the impact that you have on your community that you can have in your community, if you so choose, um, ended up ends up now being, you know, arguably the most rewarding part of what I do. It's not just Fantastic. my local community, but it's a lot of the nonprofits I'm involved in and trying to diversify the industry and putting people on to something that they didn't realize they could ever do. That's that's all super rewarding. That's just, you know, we get to do that because we make a product that people love and they're passionate about. Well, it seems like the the, the brewery and the kind of the concept of beer in, in general, let's say, is also really working together to bring your community together. Does that sound fair? When people can share an interest, there's immediate sure. connectivity. Yeah, and there's definitely. excitement around that connectivity and it allows you, it, it sort of, it, it sort of drops barriers, right? I mean, I, you know, the, you know, people will say that, you know, beer is the, you know, the social lubricant, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think generally speaking, any interest is, if you're interested in something, if you're interested in sport, a specific sport, you go to a, a stadium, it's packed with people that are passionate about the same thing that For you're sure. passionate about. Right. Totally. And it does break down barriers. It allows you to, to connect with someone that you otherwise maybe would have walked by and never had a conversation with. Um, or maybe somebody that frankly, in any other setting, you don't even like, but because <laughs> you have this interest, you're able to sort of bypass that. Um, and, and you're able to, to penetrate a, a deeper connection with somebody and, you know, while I think I knew that, I wasn't really thinking about that super hard until it came to, you know, I was in the industry, I was working yeah, at other absolutely. breweries, I saw how it was impacting the people around me. Um, once I went to my first homebrew club meeting, and I saw how diverse the people were that were there, and they were so interested, you know, there were older people, younger people, people of different colors, mm -hmm. um, people of different genders and people of different sexual orientations and they were all so excited that somebody showed up and cared about this thing they cared about right it had and nothing to do with anything else i'm just i'm so excited to share this thing with you that's special and and it wasn't until then that i started to realize like wow this this can be used uh this can be channeled this can be uh reinforced um 100%. with energy with positiveness with excitement and um uh, and and can be beneficial to people's lives. And so, you know, that that came later, but it was 
I realized pretty early on that like it was a diverse interest and then how to channel that and how to use that that happened later on fantastic it sounds it seems like we're kind of we're starting to talk about you know chris as a as a professional brewer let's say chris as the um uh, as an up-and-coming young brewmaster as an up-and-coming beer maker so you're working for companies like cigar city brewing uh, working for companies like southern brewing and winemaking this is before you founded your own company green bench of course but I, you know, I also think it's fair to say that American beer, the U.S. kind of craft beer scene, has seen an absolute revolution in maybe the last five, seven, ten years. So I assume that, kind of, given the timing of it, all of these things are coming together. You know, you're finding your way in the beer industry. You're you're working for these fantastic companies. You're maybe considering starting your own. Could you share some experiences of your early days as a professional brewer and maybe this kind of this explosion in craft beer in, in America in general? First of all, the United States is pretty big, as people know. Sure. So, um, <laughs> you know, where it's it's so big. So, like, where, <laughs> you know, uh, one starts and, and the other finishes is quite different. So to put Absolutely. that in perspective, Florida was very much behind a lot of the other, you know, states in, in the country. Um, for example, like the West Coast, California specifically, or Pacific Northwest, I mean, even the Northeast, um, and even the Midwest, like we're kind of behind a lot of that. And so I don't know if that was good or bad, but it, I probably benefited me personally and it benefited my growth because of my age and when that impacted me. Um, so by the time Florida, you know, started to boom and it became, you know, Beer was um, recognizable as we understand it today. Uh, by that point, other places had been greatly established in that in the United States. So it allowed us to look at what worked and what hadn't worked in other locations and other markets. It allowed us to be inspired by things that you know we didn't have to go through some of the trials and tribulations yeah, that maybe well, like yeah. you know Burn California had to go through or you know. <laughs> Exactly. And, um, and it allowed us, I think, to, to jump ahead a lot faster than what they had to go through, which again, personally benefited me. Uh, it was a very short amount of time in which I brewed my first homebrew. I worked at a brewery and then I opened a brewery. It was a very, very short amount of time. We, when I, a green bench turns 10 this year, which is actually wow. kind of crazy to think about. Wow, um, yeah. I was 25 when we, 10 years ago, I'm 35 right now. So I was 25 mm-hmm. years old when we were building this place, mm-hmm. I was 21 when I decided I wanted to homebrew. It took me a, about a year of drinking. So really I didn't brew a first beer. until I was about 22, about three years later, three, four years later, I was opening a brew. So it was a very mm-hmm. rapid like growth for me personally. And I, I attribute that to like where Florida was in relation to the rest of the country. Um, it was a very exciting time. Um, Cigar City had opened. There were a couple, there were a few breweries in the state of Florida. There were like kind of a couple that were established here in in Tampa Bay as a whole, um, where we are. But Cigar City was the first that were doing these crazy innovative things that not necessarily mimicked what some of the more established ones were doing, but they were contributing to that, to that as well, to that growth. Um, and so getting a job there, meeting the people that I met there that were so passionate and talented um, really helped me understand where we fit in the puzzle. And then further where maybe I fit in the puzzle, right, as a whole. And what our, what our 
our local community was either missing or, or had. And it gave me an opportunity to figure out, you know, where we could fit as, as GreenBench eventually. Um, it took me some time and a few years and developed myself. And, and it took me, I had a couple of failed attempts until I met my current business partners, Nate and Steve, who quite honestly, I wouldn't open anything with out anyway. Those guys are the best. Amazing. And um, so we, we opened this 10 years ago together and um, we realized that there was a pocket that was sort of missing specifically in St. Petersburg, which is actually where I grew up. Like I went to high school here, Nate and Steve were born here. I was actually right. born in Tennessee in Memphis, but I moved years ago, over 20 years ago, went to high school here and everything. So we kind of came from here. So it was, how do we connect with our community specifically that might be a little different than Tampa? It's only 30 minutes away, but you know, different neighborhoods have different, you know, vibes and everything. So we wanted to connect with St. Petersburg specifically. We saw an opening, we saw a void um, and how can we bring people together in that sense? So it was a very exciting time. And, 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 and oddly enough, we ended up becoming a foundational piece of what the beer scene is now. Beer in America, generally speaking, is fairly young. Part of that sure. was because of prohibition. You go back 100 years ago, we weren't able to drink for over 10 years. Well, we did sure. it, but we weren't allowed to. <laughs> and then the craft beer movement really hits in like the late 70s, early 80s, once homebrewing is available. But then that snowballs into you know people with access being able to turn – their homebrew passions and the breweries, very difficult uphill battle to talk people into it. But by the time you get to like 2006, 8, 10, 25 years from, you know, uh, when homebrewing is a kind of becomes a big thing in the United States, but it took Florida that long to be a part of that scene. And so what I learned going to Cigar City and then being able to have control over what I was doing at Southern Brewing and Winemaking, that was kind of the difference. I went to Cigar City, innovative. Uh, ahead of its time, or maybe ahead of its time in Florida, perfect time everywhere else yeah, is right, really yeah. what it was. It was like a <laughs> rapid, you know, we just jumped into the future. Um, learning so much from those people and the people that are I still call friends. Um, and then being able to control that that build at Southern Ring and Winemaking, being given the tools and the resources to be innovative myself and actually put my own fingerprint on things and and experiment with what I, I wanted to add to that, um, that growth and how I wanted to see it. And that allowed me to understand, okay, well, if I had my own place completely and I had complete control, what would I do? Um, and that became Green Bench Brewing Company, which we opened in 2013. Um, and so that's kind of the path that we took. And it was based off of, it was based off of America's growth in craft beer, you know, and, and where I was at what time, and how that affected me and the people around me. Fantastic. So it's a bit of a homecoming for you and your buddies who are looking to found this thing. What was the significance of the phrase green bench out of interest? Where did that come from? Phenomenal question. Phenomenal question. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm biracial. My mom's black. My dad's white. I grew up in sure. Memphis, Tennessee. Um, they're both from there. My dad moved down to Florida like pretty much right after I was born, really to find a job. He had a kid on the way. Got to stop working at McDonald's. Got to get a real job. Moves down here. Uh, my parents split. They had me when they were in high school. They were really young. So they weren't ever really together in my life. But I have a bunch of siblings. You know, my mom's still back home, grandfather. But I grew up as the lightest skinned person in a sea of, you know, black people, right? I grew sure. up, I'm a black boy, you know, growing up, but kind of confused, angry about it all, don't understand it, you know. <laughs> 
I'm very proud to be a Memphian, and I, I love sure. it there. I go back every year. My mom, like, yeah, my family's still there. Uh, but the awesome. way we dealt with pain in Memphis was always, you know, it is painful. We're the home of the blues. Of it's course. kind of the deal. Uh, uh, <laughs> we, we, we talk about and we face a lot of, you know, our history. So when we were deciding on the green on, on what to call our brewery, we wanted it to be number one synonymous with St. Petersburg. We wanted to feel like St. Petersburg's brewery. So we were looking at these symbols and these images of our history. And one of them that we kept coming to was were the green benches. Now the green benches, if you ask, say the white community that's from St. Pete, it's an amazing story. There were over 3,000 green benches in downtown St. Pete. St. Pete used to market itself as the city of the green benches. We take ads out of Snowbird, uh, sort of newspapers in Detroit and uh, New York and, you know, Toronto and wherever mm-hmm. and say, come down to our, you know, city. It's beautiful. We got beautiful sunshine. We got all these people hanging out with each other on the green benches. They're hanging out and enjoying them. This is like early uh, 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we, we became synonymous with that term. And we talked to the African-American community that remembers it. They remember it differently because it was a time of segregation. and Black people weren't allowed to sit on the green benches. Of course. And so, and it was an unwritten rule, but everything was segregated, right? Water fountains, sure. uh, bathrooms, parks, beaches, all of them were all segregated. And so when we were looking at a symbol that really was synonymous with St. Petersburg and its history, this symbol was very important to everybody completely different reasons, but it was always central to like our history in the South here. And so we decided to call it green bench to, to honor that history, to say like, wonderful, this is real. This is what happened. This is who we were. Mm. But the idea is that the green bench is now for everybody. A black man owns green bench, right? Like this is not, this is something that anybody can sit on, but it's something that's going to allow us. We're going to face the controversy. It's going to allow us to talk through that. It's going to, and hopefully beer is the, that social lubricant, right? It's the, it's the key that's going to allow us, even if we have differences or have different opinions on what this thing was, it's going to allow us to talk about that. It's going to allow us to have these really tough conversations because if we ignore it, then what was the point of going through what we went through? But if we talk about it we assess it and we, we acknowledge what we've been through, we're able to see where we were where we are now and then where we can go together. Yeah. And so the point of the green benches was to, or sorry, the name green bench rather was to allow our city to discuss something that is controversial, that is often painful um, and allow us to grow from it and to not hide from what we've been through. The point, it is a controversial name here locally, right? Nobody outside really knows it, right? Which is fine, but we're a community based (laughs) business. We, well, like I care more about who's down the street from me than anybody else. So Fantastic. I want to be able to connect and communicate with that. There are a lot of people that are very upset still 10 years later that we called it. Green sure. Bench. I really? know people that honestly will never step foot in here. They might have a beer with me somewhere else, but they're like, I'm not going there because we call it Green Bench. And I've told them the story and why, and they still don't accept that it's a good thing. That's perfectly reasonable. Honestly, anybody's opinion is completely like acceptable. I'm okay with all of it. We're not going to please everybody. I didn't open this business to please everybody. I opened this business to do as much good as we could for the people around us. And whether that's accepted or not is frankly not up to me. So I completely respect anybody's opinion on that. There's still people that dislike us. There are people that disliked us, then heard the story, then love us, you know, or now they feel (laughs) like, oh, cool. I can tell people that I liked you the whole time. Uh, (laughs) 
So it's still an ongoing conversation. But if it wasn't an ongoing conversation, then we wouldn't be getting anywhere. Exactly right. I think I think that's it. Right? Is some well, these these conversations are difficult. They are uncomfortable. They are painful. But I'm re- I'm really glad to hear that you know you are kind of facing it head on and, and addressing this issue. And it, to me, at least, it seems like the really smart and, and a really wonderful way to, to deal with this. Fantastic. Okay, folks, we'll be back after these messages. Florida, where the iconic Cuban sandwich and legendary key lime pie meet seafood festivals, craft breweries, and sustainable farm-to-fork restaurants. With a wide variety of local specialties inspired by an endless list of global influences, the Sunshine State's innovative culinary scene is now featured in the Michelin Guide. Enjoy freshly caught snapper at a mom and pop seafood shack, sip wine at a local vineyard, or book a food tour and let your taste buds explore everything Florida has to offer. There's something for every palate. To whet your appetite and start planning your trip, go to visitflorida.com. Welcome back, everybody. Chris, let's pick up where we left off. Let's start geeking out on beer, if that's okay with you. We were doing a little bit before we went live, and we're going to do a little bit more now, folks, if that's all right with you, Chris. Um, something that you're really kind of famous for in your in your career is experimentation, experimenting with the fermentation process, with oak, for example. Could you just share with us a little bit about your kind of your recipe development process, your brewing process in general, and how you come up with new new ideas, new recipes? Yeah. I mean, I'm always down to talk beer. I love it. It's, beer is my passion. Um, I love Glad making it. it. I love drinking it. I love, yeah, I love sharing it. Amen. So, um, yeah, we do a lot of, we do a lot of experimentation to your point. Um, I'm actually in a room right now, Web City Cellar. This is like dedicated to barrel age mixed culture beers. we got about 300 oh, wow, so wine barrels behind me. Yeah. It's, it smells amazing in here. Um, so we got <laughs> so 300 so wine barrels behind me, all full of beer. These things age for two, three, four years sometimes before I blend them all back. Wow. Almost more like a wine process than traditional brewing yeah, processes. Right? The, the process I go through with recipe development to your question there was um, I really think about the final product first. I'm always thinking about how do I build, how do I use the process of making it to create building blocks for a final product, right? So what do I want to drink? What do I want to convey? What do I want available to me in however long, right? Whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, an IPA or a Pilsner or, you know, um, English bitter, right? How do I want it to eventually taste even down to something that's going to take three, four years, right? And if it's a three, four year thing, I may not know what I'm going to do with it eventually, but I want to make sure that I have it accessible to me in two, three, four years, something that I'm going to be able to work with. And I know that I'm going to enjoy, right? To, to, to manipulate at that moment. Uh, that's the beauty about the barrel age stuff is it's all about the blend at the end. So what I'm doing ahead of time is I'm building stock profiles. I'm building, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm taking ingredients, I'm taking process and I'm making colors. And then later on I take those colors and I paint something, right? That's kind of nice. the idea. And so it takes time to get there, but that's the goal. The goal is not to make a final product when I make those beers, it's to make the pieces that eventually I'll use to make the final product versus something like an IPA, same concept, but it's a lot faster, right? It'll take me three, four weeks to make an IPA at most. And wow. so on those ones, I'm taking all the different ingredients available to me using those as the, the sort of the, the different colors of, of paint and then creating the expression through process and development. Um, my goal at the end of the day really is to make 
uh, the best beer that I can. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to do that, I'm a, which means that I'm always dedicated to making sure that whatever is released goes through as many quality checks, as many thoughts and questions and critiques as it possibly can before it hits a consumer, because that's kind of the, you know, that's the promise sort of quote unquote that I made with our local consumer is that I'm not just going to give you something that, you know, that I don't care about. I'm only ever going to give you something that I care about. It may not mean that you like it. It may not mean that it's for you, but you'll at least know. And we took a while for this, but I think we built that foundation where people eventually understood that I may not like this thing, but if it came from them, I know that it, I know that it went through that. I know that it went through that filter um, and it came to us with care and love and I may not like it. That's fine. But I know they gave me the right thing. Right. And that's kind of, that's ultimately what I always wanted. I wanted to build a place that, that was built on trust that was built on um, uh, this promise, this promise that like, we're going to, we're going to always do right by what we're making. Um, Doesn't always mean it's for everybody. And uh, yeah, that's kind of our philosophy on brewing beer. A hundred percent makes sense, Chris. I mean, as you say, you can't please everybody all of the time, especially with something as objective as beer, you know, or food or drink in general. Not everybody's going to like it all the time. But as long as that ethos, as long as that uh, transparency in the process is there, people may not like it, but they're going to respect it. Right. And I guess that's kind of what you guys are going for. Just out of interest, uh, you you say you're obviously you're in the room where the magic happens right now. What's your next kind of concept? Can you maybe give us a little glance at the crystal ball? Have you got some, some big plans for summer 2023? Um, Yeah, we got a few releases that we, um, that we're really excited about. I got a few here in the mixed culture side. One of them is called shopping cart cowboys. That's an old school, like um, reference to web city seller. Uh, our seller, which is our second concept, also has kind of an old St. Pete reference, and it was a reference to Web City Drugstore, which is a drugstore here in St. Petersburg. Um, the guy, Earl Doc Webb, opened it in 1925. It was a little room, like pharmacy. 25 years later, he it was like a 77 department store. He owned seven city blocks, and but he, caught, he kept the name Web City Drugstore, but he coined it the world's most unusual drugstore. So he had all <laughs> these departments, but still called it a drugstore. And uh, people from St. Pete, St. Petians will remember that. They're like, oh, I used to go to Webb's and like buy gardening equipment and go to the toy store and the hair salon and all that stuff. So uh, it's an old reference there. He also employed uh, over 2,000 people, and it was, a, it was a place that was very accepting to the African-American community here um, as far as employees and places to shop. He still didn't allow African-Americans to eat at the lunch counters. Um, and so in 1961, wow. the NAACP decided to host sit-ins to protest in, in St. Petersburg. And the two places, the main places they decided to do it around the Green Benches and Webb City, because those mm-hmm. are two places that were so in, two two things that were so vital and important to our city that anybody around here would understand that without them, what is the sort of identity, which is why we called it the Webb City uh, Cellar. Uh, but the shopping or cowboys, the reason we call it that is Earl Doc Webb was all into gimmicks. He was into some weird, esoteric, crazy, like, <laughs> I don't know, like toys to get people interested. So he would encourage, like, if you take your shopping cart, like you finish shopping, you go outside, you put in your car. He, the people that would come around to pick up the carts in the parking lot, he would encourage them to dress like cowboys and try to like lasso the carts <laughs> from the customers, like really silly stuff. So we call it the shopping or cowboys. Yeah. 
That one's Fantastic. like a mixed culture golden ale. So it's a blend of wild yeast and bacteria fermented in oak. Then it was barrel aged for about two and a half years. I blended a bunch of beers of those individuals barrels together. And then I re-fermented them on grapefruit for about uh, seven months. And then we bottled that. So we just released that one. That one's really fun. Don't know about you folks listening, but my my mouth is literally watering at the concept of uh, concept of that. Mind yeah. you, we're nearly there. It's it's Friday afternoon where we are here in the UK, so I'm nearly I've nearly earned my beer for the weekend. I'm not far away now. Chris, we've spoken a little bit about kind of education and the role that beer might play in that, but you're taking an active role in future education, having founded the USF St Pete's Brewing Arts Program. Perhaps you could share a little bit about that, the kind of inspiration behind it, and what you're aiming to achieve. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, so early on when Green Bench opened, we were kind of the first brewery in St. Petersburg. There was a bunch that opened right around the time we did, right after us. Right. And um, and so we opened up and then, you know, Three Daughters opened up. The Cycle Brewing had just opened and like a few others around us. And, and so now there's a, a handful like kind of around the area, uh, which is great. And uh, one of the things we realized pretty quickly, especially with the growth that we were having, the trajectory of growth that we we're having – was that the talent pool for the for the people that we were bringing in was getting more and more narrow because they were getting right. sort of gobbled up by all the breweries around us. And and honestly, most of them were people that had never really worked in a brewery. They were home brewers like I was originally yeah, and just wanted to work in a brewery. But it started to become a bit unsafe and it became very difficult to train uh, a lot of these people. So the idea originally spurred with this guy, Jim Leonard, who's a chemist. He was just re- recently retired. He worked at USF. Uh, St. Pete and um, Mike Harding, who's the owner of Three Daughters Brewing down the road. They opened about six, seven months after we did. And they kind of hung out and they were talking about it. They're like, man, it'd be cool if we could train people and we can hire from this training pool, train pool. And so they, they called together all the, these different breweries together. And we all sat and talked about this idea. And uh, he talked with the, the dean over at USF St. Petersburg and they decided that they would be interested in potentially starting a program, and but we would have to build it. And so that group became the founding faculty members, and we developed curriculum, um, you know, based on some really high standards that a person could go through, come out with a certificate that says, like, I'm ready to mm-hmm. work in any brewery. Um, and over 90% of the people that have graduated have gone on to either work in a brewery or open a brewery. Uh, since we started this. And it's about, we're in our sixth year now um, at the USF St. Pete Brewing Arts Program. Fantastic, fantastic. Stay in school, kids. I don't know if uh, if that doesn't keep the kids in school. I don't know what will. Chris, I could happily geek out over beer for a few more hours, but we probably should kind of start wending our way towards a conclusion. Let's take it in a, in a travel-focused route to finish. You're, of course, doing some wonderful things in the world of beer and the world of community around beer, but you're also uh, somebody who lives in Florida. You're a Floridian. So you eat there, you relax there, you drink there, of course. Perhaps you could share a couple of your favorite places, certainly to eat, to hang out, maybe favorite things to do in Florida in general. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look away from the beach. Uh, we're right on the of beach. Course, of I mean, course, It's a beautiful, beautiful place. The water's gorgeous. You know, like we're, yeah, we're, our brewery is literally surrounded by water. St. Petersburg is about That's five minutes to my, uh, to the, to the east of me is the bay and then about, 15, 20 minutes to the west of me is the Gulf of Mexico. So we're wow. completely surrounded by water. It's always easy to do. If you're going to stay somewhere, some of the best places are like, if you can stay at the Vinoy, which is on uh, the bay side, it's a beautiful like pink Marriott uh, hotel. If you want to stay at another big pink one uh, over on the <laughs> over on the Gulf side, there's one called the Don Cesar, 
And the Don Cesar is awesome. It's a really old um, but newly renovated uh, established hotel that's been right on St. Pete Beach for you know over 100 years. And uh, we just recently grew a collaboration with them called the Pink Palette oh, Maze. And it's like a hazy, hazy IPA that we just launched with them. Um, they've got like six bars and a few restaurants and stuff. It's awesome. Fantastic. Uh, my favorite restaurant in town is uh, called Baba. Um, it's actually owned. It's a, it's actually a uh, kind of a Mediterranean inspired sort of restaurant. The owners uh, George and Debbie. Debbie's from Greece. Um, George has a Latin American background, but he's he, they're from Brooklyn, and that's where they met. And then uh, they came down here. They opened a restaurant directly across the street from us called the Bodega. The same year we opened, and it's like Cuban food. They have like a lechon plate, so it's rice, beans, uh, pulled pork, uh, plantains, like maduros. Uh, their their Cuban sandwich is the best I've ever had. So the the the, the wow. pro move is go over to go over to Bodega, order a Cuban, bring it back to the brewery, and eat a eat a Cuban here with one of our beers. Like that's like the that's like the St. Pete staple move. Uh, to hang out and drink, I really like going over to Cellar Masters. They're pretty close to us too. They're probably right behind us. It's actually a wine bar. So it's these two guys that really love wine. Interesting. And they opened a, a really cool um, you know to go wine list a massive bottle shop. And then they have a little bar in the back as well, where you can drink there on site and, and try a bunch of wines. Uh, that's one of our favorite places to, to, to enjoy. And then the last one would be directly across the street from us as well is called Intermezzo uh, owned, owned by this guy locally. Um, his name is Jarrett. He's awesome. He's here all the time. We hang out with him all the time. It's a cocktail bar uh, at night and it's like kind of a coffee shop by day. Um, and he makes some of the best cocktails. I think, I think he makes the best cocktails in St. Petersburg and it's literally, I'm looking at it. I can see it out this one day directly across the street. So, um, yeah, his stuff's awesome. They're always rotating their menu and he's always, he, he, you know, he cares very much about what he puts in the glass. So that's all you can ever ask for. Well, it sounds like it's all like with a stone's throw from, from where you are. It's all like five minute walk. St. Pete's not huge, right? Like it's actually, uh, geographically, it's a pretty, it's a pretty small town. There's a lot of people in it, but it's, it's pretty small as a whole. Now, Tampa Bay as a whole is a lot bigger, right? Directly across the street. I say this again, oddly enough, um, on the other side of Bodega is Tropicana Field. That's where the Tampa Rays play. So if you like baseball, major league baseball, we're the best team in baseball right now. Like sure. have the yeah, best yeah. record in all of baseball. They're playing the best baseball in the country right now across the street from us. So we go over there. I mean, I'm at a game. We're at a game. Someone from here is at a game every week. Um, and so it's Incredible. a great place to hang out before the game. We get packed during race games. All these fans come here, drink a bunch of beer, then head over there and then come back afterwards. Awesome. That, that sounds like just about my my perfect day out. There you go, folks. So you go and grab yourself a, an iconic Cuban sandwich from across the street. Go to Green Bench to get a nice, what we think, in some sort of IPA, some sort of nice, cool, crisp pills to go with it. Go and watch a Rays you game. Yeah, thank you very much. We go, and, go and watch a Rays game and then come back for a couple of nice cocktails. That sounds like a pretty nice way to spend the day, if you ask me. Absolutely. Chris, I would love to, to talk all day and we can geek out about beer and what to do in Tampa Bay and St. Pete, but I'm afraid we're going to have to start winding our way to, to the end of this chat. Uh, folks, you have been listening to Chris Johnson. He's the head brewer and co-owner of Green Bench Brewing, which is based in St. Petersburg or St. Pete in Florida. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Folks, you've been listening to The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.
Imagine a destination with 825 miles of idyllic beaches, more than 1,300 walking trails, and over 700 freshwater springs. This is Florida, where you can meet the manatees at Three Sisters Springs, zipline over a canyon in Ocala, and paddleboard through the waterways in the nation's oldest city, St. Augustine. Our extensive accessibility options mean everyone can enjoy our attractions and activities. Florida is truly limitless. Look beyond the theme parks and get out into the Sunshine State's great outdoors. To plan your next adventure, go to visitflorida.com.